I'm Mike Wilkerson, producer of the Free Field Training Podcast, and you're listening to another terrifying episode of Two Guys Talking Horror via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. Remember when The Wizard of Oz would air on television once a year, and if you missed it, you were shit out of luck? It was the same with the Christmas specials. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. If you and your family didn't tune in, you had to wait a whole year for another opportunity to watch them. Holiday specials were once a staple in the homes of most Americans, and Halloween was no exception. Join us as we do the time warp again and resurrect seven Halloween TV specials you might have forgotten on Two Guys Talking Horror. Lethal Listings. Greetings and salutations, everybody. I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your host. And I'm Jason Contini, your co-host. Welcome back, Jason. Let's do some housekeeping. Everything old is new again. Now, you may or may not know, and I know I've, I've, I've told you, Jason, but our listening audience may not know this. Earlier in the year, our servers crashed. I'd like to say that it was all because of Two Guys Talking Horror. Sadly, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the servers for Two Guys Talking Podcast Network crashed because there was a influx of downloads and, and traffic from some of our other shows. And we actually had to rebuild from the ground up. And most of our shows have found new homes over at our brand new website. It's still the same web address. It's just a brand new site. And we have been slowly but surely putting our previous content back up. So in a sense, if you've never heard the older episodes before, it's new to you. I'm trying to steal that whole NBC thing, you know, it's... <laughs> it, 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 it's not a rerun if you haven't seen it kind right, of a kind of right. a thing. It's like breaking out the archive and uh re-releasing the old the old ghosts. That's I right. Guess. We are re-releasing original episodes of Two Guys Talking Horror. And that's episodes with uh, both me and Jason with uh Jason and our other host uh, Diesel. There's actually one episode where it's the three of us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Lots of great content. And remember, if you haven't heard it, it's new to you. Well, here we are again, doing another episode of Lethal Listings. 
I love a good list. Lists are great because you know it's easy content. Uh, it's it's <laughs> great for debate. Yeah, because a lot of people disagree about you know what your number one and number two picks are. Normally, our lists aren't necessarily. This is how we feel. It's just we're making a list, and this just happens to be number seven, and this just happens to be number one. Usually, I guess it's if it's if it's really important, we'll actually say this list is God, and you do. these are the commandments that God you know spoke down <laughs> from the mountain of Mohammed, and we will not deviate. Yeah, but how often do we really go into that? Well, we don't. We have and I just really like making lists. We just like I making think, lists. Yeah. Because you have a list, I have a list, and then we kind of have to debate on which list is better. Yeah. And then it turns into an amalgam of each list. Until I leave, and then, you know, Until we all realize that mine is better. Everything. <laughs> I'll rewrite everything, and once we're in the studio, he has no choice but to read what's in front of him. So, ha! <laughs> so before we actually get into the list, there was a conversation that Jason and I had actually a year ago, a year ago around Halloween, about old television specials that we remembered from our youth. Everybody remembers it's a, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown because that that airs. It still airs. And I think something like a you know a Garfield Halloween Garfield even though Halloween. it doesn't air necessarily it has found such a new life on DVD right that especially people from our generation have all you know I mean it sells in Target and Walmart I've seen it everywhere. So so even though it's not airing like Great Pumpkin it certainly has life right. now. I, I know you have never you've never had the opportunity to see it, but uh, on the same veins, Halloween is Grinch Night. Yeah, not All, sure how that one slipped through for me. Yeah, it's weird. But there were a lot of specials that we remember seeing either when they aired or when another network picked them up and would air them during Halloween. Some of the some of the things on our list actually were not released. In the month of October. They were not necessarily released as a Halloween TV special, and they were just a TV special. I think that was kind of a thing in the 80s and 90s for us, uh, our generation growing up in particular. I think that there were a lot of things that, you know, you always had specials that came out during Christmas. Oh, yeah. And maybe even for Thanksgiving. But there wasn't a great deal of Halloween specials made for Halloween. Mm-hmm. But like you said, a lot of things that would then come out at other times of the year, they started rerunning during Halloween. And over time, they became Halloween specials. Right. So yeah, I think a lot of this stuff on this list, not everything, but I think, not everything. I think a lot of the ones on our list here are cases like that, that didn't start out being a Halloween special, but have certainly claimed their place. Right. Now that we've got that taken care of, Let's get right to Lethal Listings. Seven Halloween television specials that you may have forgotten. Number seven, The Mad Monster Party. Now, this was something that you had not heard about, correct, when I brought this up to you? Had no idea of its existence, and then once I looked into it, I was like... I've seen. I've never seen this. I've seen it around. It's it's very popular on DVD now. Right. But I had never I'd never saw it on television. Never came across it at all during my life. There is one of uh, one of our seven uh, specials that we've picked today. That's the case for me, where you had brought it up to me, and I had never heard of it. Right. But this was one that I I had seen as a kid, and maybe three or four times. But 
I hadn't seen it in years until you and I sat down and, and rewatched it. That was the first time I had seen it in, gosh, probably 15, 20 years. But this was kind of a staple in our house for a few years there in the 80s because of Boris Karloff right. primarily. So what Mad Monster Party is, for those of you who don't know, there was a production company in the 60s and 70s, and I, I believe they even lasted into the 80s, called Rankin Bass. I believe it's the same company behind shows like Thundercats and Silverhawks mm-hmm. when we were kids. What Rankin Bass is most known for is, of course, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in, I think it was 1964. And then all of the subsequent very famous Christmas specials that would come uh, after that. Frosty the Snowman and Twas the Night Before Christmas. I remember Santa um, Claus. Rudolph's uh, Rudolph's Shiny Shiny New New Year. Year. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. We actually got a sequel to Rudolph. Yes, yes. So Rankin Bass did all of that. And uh, Jules Bass was kind of the driving uh, producer and sometimes director throughout much of those films. Well, after the success of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, they did a couple of other specials, mostly things that have gone into obscurity at this point. But the next big one that came along, ironically, was this mad monster party, which Jules Bass directed himself. Mm. So this predates Frosty and all of the others. This was the only thing that came before Mad Monster Party is Rudolph. And it's the same style. It's the same style of animation. So if you like stop-motion animation, I, I think it's part clay and part puppet and part armatures and whatnot. But So it's that same kind of animation, and it's the same voice talents, a lot of the same sound effects. And while I loved it as a kid, I have to admit, rewatching it now doesn't quite have the same charm. Right. And doesn't certainly doesn't have the longevity and staying power that some of the other Rankin-Bass products had from that time. There were quite a few moments, I think, where you and I looked at each other while we were watching it going, what is this about? What is going yeah. And like I said, it's been 15, 20 years since I've seen it. So it was still kind of somewhat new to me, even though it was certainly reminiscent. Well, I had the opportunity. I watched it the night before, and then I watched it with Jason before we started doing the podcast today. And... Again, I, I get the appeal because I grew up on the stop-motion animation kids shows and movies and things like that. I am a huge fan of stop-motion animation. Give me anything that Ray Harryhausen did. Absolutely. I'll watch that as yeah. well. So there's the nostalgia feeling for me, but that only takes you so far. I love the classic monsters, and we, we've got them all in this. You've got Boris Karloff as the voice of... Dr. Baron Boris von Frankenstein. Who's obviously taking your place of the mad scientist right. in there. Oh, and it's kind of nice that Boris, his claim to fame was playing the Frankenstein monster. And now here, towards the end of his career, he was voicing Dr. Frankenstein in a sense. Right. But you've got Dracula makes an appearance. Dracula's a character. The wolf. Well, they call him the werewolf. Because I'm sure there were some legal entanglements with Universal that you couldn't call him the Wolf Man. Didn't want to get sued. Yeah, don't want to get sued. <laughs> then you got you had the mummy. You had the creature. He wasn't necessarily from the Black Lagoon. No, but I think he was an underwater creature. He was just an underwater <laughs> just amphibian man. Yeah. Uh, you had the Hunchback of Notre Dame. You had yeah. the Invisible Man. You had Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. That was a perplexing. <laughs> 
That was a perplexing take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Yeah. Hyde, especially for you and I being such big fans of that Huge story. Huge fans of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. General. Hyde, and this, this was... Uh, it was a very interesting uh, depiction. Well, very also watered down, because you, you have to imagine, I'm sure, mostly kids were watching this sure. when they were younger. Uh, but it's all about the monsters getting together for this mad monster party, because... Dr. Frankenstein, he's retiring. He's he's done everything that he's wanted to do, mad scientisty wise, and he's retiring. He's going to name a successor, and the successor just happens to be his only living relative, a, a nephew that has no idea that he's connected to the Frankenstein bloodline. And the monsters don't want Dr. Frankenstein to retire, for one, but they also don't want some... Nobody, some human, some human in particular, yeah, some human, telling them what to do as the leader of the uh, world monster organization. You, you hear that, and you're like, "All right, I'm in." So you got the classic monsters. It's 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 animation, claymation, stop motion stuff. All right, it's Rankin and Bass. I love I love me some Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. What can you do for Halloween? Well, here's the thing: this it wasn't made for Halloween in our. Research, we discovered that this actually aired in March of 1967. So obviously, ha- didn't have anything to, to do with Halloween. Also, another staple in Rankin and Bass films are the musical numbers. Yeah. And I, while in some, specifically Rudolph, and I'm not talking yeah. about the, the Gene Hotry Rudolph song. Right. You know, the, the other songs in that movie are quite catchy and memorable mm-hmm. and have something to do and have with, something to do with the holiday that they represent. Not only the holiday, but the plot of the story. And the plot of the story. This movie doesn't. On any count. It has plenty of, of musical numbers, but they almost kind of seem a little forced, and they take you out of the narrative of the story. Which, you know, as as two guys who not only love horror and love film and love all of this stuff, we're also big fans of musicals, particular styles of musicals, right. let's say. But we do like musicals, and so you and I are not opposed to musicals on stage or musical films that have songs that have nothing to do with what's going on as long as the song is catchy. Mm. That's not even the case here. It <laughs> takes you out of the out of the story. It takes you out of the moment. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything that's going on and it's not a good song. Yeah. And it's not memorable. I couldn't t- there's one song in the whole I, thing. I think it's the same song that I'm yep, thinking of yep. too. It's the only one that's memorable. It's also the only one that has anything to do with Halloween or the holiday or even the story at hand. And it is the most derivative, <laughs> um, repetitive thing I've ever heard in music ever, I think. <laughs> and I, I, it's the mummy song. Do the mummy. Do the mummy. And I think Do that's literally mummy. what they say I think over there's a, and over there, there's, again. A, there's a little bit of something down the line. But, but you've heard them going over and over about doing the mummy, and that's but you don't, you're not it. even listening anymore. No, it's that's the only yeah. just about or damn near the only lyrics in the whole song is "Do the mummy," to which of course the mummy is brought out onto the dance floor to dance because he has to dance to his own song. Oh yeah, it's and his he own is song. brought out by the bride of Frankenstein, played by Miss Phyllis, Phyllis Diller. Diller, because. Why not, I guess? Well, now, some of our younger listeners probably won't even know who Phyllis Diller is. Trust me. Uh, I, all the information that we have dug up <laughs> for this episode of Lethal Listings, we're going to have 
links to it on the show notes over at the website. So don't worry. We will educate you on who Phyllis Diller is. Phyllis Diller used to be, once upon a time when she was alive, because you know, she's dead, uh, she used to be a very popular female comedian. Yeah. And especially she, in the 60s and Especially 70s. in the 60s and 70s. And her shtick was actually slightly horror-based. It was. Especially uh, self-deprecating. Yes. And actually, some of you uh, may even, if you enjoy watching old episodes of Scooby-Doo, Phyllis Diller oh, appeared right. on Scooby-Doo at least yeah, a handful point. of times. So, so you may or may not know who Phyllis Diller is, but if you want to know more, head on over to the website at twoguystalkinghorror.com and check out the links in the show notes. You'll learn all about her. <laughs> Number six. The Disney Halloween specials. Now, I'm lumping these together in one number because, well, let's be honest. While we were doing the research for this podcast, we kept on coming across a lot of conflicting information. And the reason for that is because Disney would put out a certain number of Halloween-themed specials every year or so. But they were all just – they were basically the uh, the equivalent of a clip show for a sitcom. We don't have much here, so we're just going to shove all of the spooky cartoons that we can. And maybe some of them will have music. Maybe some of them won't. And I think we also discovered, too, that as time went on, not only did they do kind of clip shows of classic Disney horror-themed shorts or classic Disney villains or whatever, but – as time went on, they started to do clip shows of the Halloween specials themselves. Right. And they started to cannibalize previous Halloween specials and mix them and, and amalgamate them almost with other Disney Halloween specials. Yeah. So there's, I think there's really only two or three, but there ended up being something like seven or eight of them. And they're all kind of the same movie. Yeah, basically. Just reworked and retweaked. And and even though some of them have different narratives, you know, some of them will have different hosts, they almost all have at least two or three of the same cartoons in them. I think there's one cartoon in particular that shows up in every single one, and that is the famous Donald Duck trick-or-treat. Oh, yes. Cartoon. Trick-or-treat. Trick-or-treat. Trick-or-treat on Halloween. Yeah. yeah, exactly. See, and it's that's it's catchy, and it has yep. something to do with actual Halloween because <laughs> you're trick or treating. The three that were that that popped up the most and also rang bells in our belfry. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. That's a horrible <laughs> joke, but we'll go with that. The bells of the belfry of the mind in our go. memory. There we go. Were the Halloween Hall of Fame from 1977. Halloween Treat from 1982, and DTV's Monster Hits of 1987. Now, I think of those three, and I, I might be showing my age, although I technically was not born yet when it first aired. But technically? Yep. Technically not. But I think the, the Halloween Hall of Fame is the one that I've probably watched the most. I think at some point it got rerun. I don't know if it was on... Wonderful World of Disney, or if it was on the Disney Channel itself, or what? But at some probably point, both. Probably both. But at some point, it got rerun, and and my folks taped it on VHS. 
And there we go. We mentioning that VHS God thing again. God bless VHS. Boy, VHS. That for anybody that's younger than what twenty five, go look <laughs> it up. It was pretty cool. Well, they're retro now. They're used for decoration. Oh, is that the? Oh God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wow. <laughs> we had that taped off TV, and I think I watched that all the time. In fact, when DVD came about and they started to put out these VCR VHS to DVD converters ah, yes. that you could get and I think they were like $120 something like that. Well, my folks had one of those because we had so many VHS and we wanted to start transferring some of our movies. Cuz at the time a lot of stuff wasn't on DVD. A lot of stuff DVD wasn't on yet. DVD. Yeah. And some of these still aren't. Mm-hmm. Case in point, these Halloween specials, some these Disney ones particularly. So, I transferred it over to this day that Halloween Hall of Fame from 1977 is in my regular annual Halloween rotation mm. of of films to view. And part of it is because of the shorts that are in it that they feature in the film. But the other part of it is the host of the film. Well, yeah. Which is the great, late Jonathan Winters. And for anyone who doesn't know who Jonathan Winters is, by all means, I encourage you to check him out. He was one of the greatest comedians of all time, I believe, Uh, certainly of the 60s and 70s, very influential to Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. was a, was he a regular or a semi-regular on Mork and Mindy in the later years? He, in the later seasons, he was, he actually played Mork's son. I knew he was Mork's son, I just couldn't remember. So he was, was, uh, at least a semi-regular. Semi-regular, yes, at least. So he, you know, the the two of them were, were very close, and I would say that he is not necessarily the same style of humor as Robin Williams, but let's say the 60s, 70s equivalent of a Robin Williams. As Robin Williams was just kind of starting to come up, Jonathan Winters was the name to go for. So it's very cool to watch Jonathan Winters in this special. He seems incredibly out of place, but it's fun to watch Jonathan Winters. Well, he's able to, you you put him in a prop room. He's a Disney security guard. You put him in a prop room, so... The first almost 10 minutes of this special is just him. It might even be more than that. It might be first 15 <laughs> it, minutes. It's him trying on different hats or grabbing different props and just and just riffing. And yeah, just it's like they let funny. the camera just run and say, Jonathan, just do whatever you want. Until he comes across this crystal ball, and inside this crystal ball is this giant pumpkin. This Jack O'Lantern. Jack O'Lantern. Is his name. Also played by Jonathan Winters. Yeah. And the two of them go back and forth, and in interspersed be- between their their banter is spooky cartoons. And the three cartoons that are showcased in this special are, of course, the Donald Duck Trick or Treat special. Love it, love episode, it. Which is great. I think it might be, you know, that and the Haunted House Mickey Mouse cartoon might be the best haunt, uh, mm. best Halloween themed cartoons that Disney did. But anyway, so it's the Donald Duck Trick or Treat, and then that is followed by Pluto's Judgment Day. The one about Pluto getting sent to a hell filled with cats, <laughs> and they put him on the stand to be tried Poor in front Pluto. of a jury of 12 cats who, of course, convict him immediately. And he comes to at the end and finds that Mickey has brought home a new kitten, and of course, immediately they become friends, and it's all happy, and it ends right. you know, with a nice little bow. But then the third cartoon which the jack-o-lantern character says is the scariest thing in halloween ever is an edited version of disney's the legend of sleepy hollow Mm. there is some of the more famous musical numbers appear in there but i think they've cut maybe 20 minutes out of the film oh wow something to that effect so if you buy the dvd of legend of sleepy hollow 
you'll get the full film, but then if you watch the Halloween Hall of Fame from Disney, then it's an edited down version. So those are the three, and I think those three, certainly Sleepy Hollow and Trick or Treat, but I think Pluto one as well, kind of show up in some form or another in all of these Disney Halloween specials. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a running theme. There's also... Disney's Halloween Treat. I think that's the one that you knew more, right? That's the one that I knew more. I, I remember Halloween Hall of Fame sure. vaguely because I remember once we started watching it, I was like, oh, I remember this. Sure. Well, and Jonathan Winter sticks in your head. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Disney's Halloween Treat is the the one that I remember watching the most as as a youngster. And that one had a huge collection. You, you had... Uh, from Fantasia, the Night on Bald Mountain. Yeah, that's right. That's a great. That's a great piece of classic animation. It is. And, yeah. And that that right there is in the Hall of Fame of animation for Absolutely me. Absolutely, it is. And of course, you've got Trick or Treat. But another one of my favorite Donald Duck horror-related cartoons from back then was also the Escape of Ajax, the Killer Gorilla. Yeah. So it's it's poor Donald thinking that this this giant gorilla is in his house and. And and he's scaring himself to death. And then once he finally gets over being scared, the gorilla actually does break into the house, and hilarity ensues. I yeah, I love that episode, and I quote that episode a lot to people, and they tend to kind of look at me like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Come on, you haven't seen the the Donald Duck gorilla episode?" Now, of course, the last one that we mentioned, DTV's Monster Hits. DTV for anybody that had the Disney Channel back in the eighties. One of the blocks of time that they would have on Disney Channel would be very similar to what MTV or VH1 would do now is they'd have a small little block of time to play music videos. Right. And this was basically just showing clips of cartoons strung together that had something to do, anything to do, with a song. Like, uh, let's say, uh, if if the song was uh, Your Kiss. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list. Hall of Notes. Okay, so kiss. Now you've got three minutes of Disney cartoon snippets where people are kissing. Yep. From any cartoon. Stuff, some yeah. of the movies, some of their shorts, but they're kissing. Yep. Well, for the monster hits, it was snippets from all of their scary cartoons. And sometimes not even their scary cartoons, but if it had something to do with the song, then they threw it in there. The biggest disappointment of all is when they did Thriller, is they actually butcher Thriller by cutting it off just as the Vincent Price stuff is supposed to start. Oh, I wonder if there was a rights issue there. Well, it might have been a rights, or that stuff might have been just a little bit too scary. It could have been. Yeah, it could I mean, have there's, been. There's some, there's some descriptive things that Vincent Price talks about during that little interlude. But I, I remember DTV Monster Hit simply because they, it was the 80s and music videos were the thing. Yeah, I remember those those DTV things. But I think, you know, that was at a time, too, like a lot of channels when they start, where they needed content. Yeah, there was no program. There, there wasn't, you know, this avalanche of constant content that we have available to networks mm. today. Right, right. And so a lot of times when a network would start, a new channel would start on cable especially, it was maybe one or two new programs a week and everything else was archived stuff or things like these Halloween specials or like DTV where it was pieces and clip reels almost of more famous things from 40, 50 years prior right, right. shown to a new generation. 
and a lot of these these Halloween specials that would air on the Wonderful World of Disney or the Sunday Disney World of Color Adventure Extravaganza yeah, or whatever, whatever the hell it, it was yeah, called, whatever they called it that day. Yeah, right. A lot of those things would end up on the Disney Channel and would either precede or follow something like DTV. Yeah, especially. The stuff that you're talking about, when DTV would do kind of their monster hits, their horror-esque themed DTV special, and then afterwards, you stick around and you watch a rerun of one of the Halloween specials. Mm -hmm. Or a new Halloween special, but it's essentially the same Halloween special, but they've just tacked on 20 extra minutes so that they could show Night on Bald Mountain. Right. And now they're introducing everything with a host who's a talking pumpkin. Or now it's a... It's the magic, magic mirror, mirror from yeah, Snow White right. or whatever it is that they end up pulling together. So, yeah, it was it was certainly interesting, an interesting approach to Halloween specials at that time. And I, I don't know if you know this, but in an interesting side note, since we talked about Mad Monster Party having Boris Karloff and a lot of these Disney Halloween specials have Night on Bald Mountain. Mm-hmm. Well, Night on Bald Mountain technically has Bella Lugosi. Oh. Because when Fantasia was originally produced and was originally being animated and being made, they brought Bela Lugosi in because he was such a big star at that time still. Mm -hmm. They brought Bela Lugosi in with his cape to do the movements as if they were the wings of the creature on the mountain. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, and the the animators, I don't know if they rotoscoped his his stuff. I know that Disney liked to do a lot of that, especially with like Alice in Wonderland. There was some rotoscoping being done there. But I don't know if it was to the same extent as the old Max Fleischer Superman cartoons did. But it's certainly, they used this footage as the movement model and inspiration for the creature on Night on Bald Mountain. So, you know, number seven, we have Mad Monster Party with Boris Karloff. Number six, we have all these Halloween specials from Disney with Bella Lugosi. <laughs> number five, Mr. Boogity. This is something that no one that I've ever talked to has ever seemed to know anything about. Really? Whenever I mention... Mr. Boogity to someone, they look at me like I'm from another planet. Mr. Boogity was an hour-long special, I believe, during one of the World of Disney something or others that they had. And again, it was something that we had taped off television, and I would watch it all the time. I loved Mr. Boogity. And I could not find anyone who ever knew other than my brothers, anyone who ever knew what I was talking about until I met you. (laughs) You are, to this day, the only person I know who knows Mr. Boogity from childhood. Now, I have since forced my wife to sit down and watch Mr. Boogity with me, and and I know that she likes to give you and I quite a hard time about it. In fact, she made a meme one time of uh, Ben Affleck's Batman and Henry Cavill's Superman and Ben Affleck's Batman says, you know, Mr. Boogity and Henry Cavill's Superman says, yeah, I know Mr. Boogity. And then the bottom picture is John C. Riley and Will Ferrell saying, did we just become best friends? <laughs> now, see, I would have gone I would have gone an, uh, an opposite way if I was the type that made memes like my wife is. It, it seems like a, both of our wives evidently, enjoy making memes. Evidently, it's a theme. Yeah. So I would think that my wife, 
although never seen uh, Batman versus Superman, I think my wife would have gone the uh, the route of the first picture would be Superman on the ground about to be be skewered with the the kryptonite spear going, uh, you got to save Boogity. And then Ben Affleck's Batman, why did you say Boogity? Why did you say Boogity? <laughs> I think I, that that would have been where I my mind would go, and I'm sure my wife probably as well. Remind me the next time I see your wife to I will. To, to, to tell her, uh, shut I her will. damn pie hole. <laughs> <laughs> I, too, I, too, have found it very hard to discover any uh, anybody else who remembers anything to do with the Boogity franchise. Because, yes, folks, there there is a sequel, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Spoilers. And the funny thing about it is is that it, it's Disney made it. It's a spooky story. Guess when it aired? April. Because April that's when you of put 1986. Out, you know. That's when you put out something scary. Right. Is April. Oh, tax season, so I guess, you know. <laughs> the fun thing about the Boogity movie is that it stars it, it in a very small role. He only has two scenes, but you've got John Aston yeah. as Mr. Witherspoon, the town historian who yeah. who basically gives the the main characters, all the information about Mr. Boogie. He's essentially your creepy old caretaker right. role, even though he's not completely creepy. He's more bizarre yeah. than creepy. But in very, very early acting roles, you've got, before she was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she was in Mr. Boogity. That's right, Christy Swanson. Yep. Then you've got, before Bud Bundy... You've got David Faustino as the middle child, and then you've got Benji Gregory, who most of you should know, and if you don't, I'm very disappointed in you. Benji Gregory actually played Brian on the sitcom Alf. That's right. One of my all-time favorite shows. That's right. But don't forget the patriarch of the family that moves into the creepy haunted house, Uh Richard Masser, Mm. who, of course— horror fans will recognize from his brief, very brief stint in the television movie miniseries of Stephen King's It. Yes, he played uh, Stan, the original Stan. That's right. Didn't last very long. No, no, he doesn't. No. (laughs) Ironically, I also found out recently that Richard Masser, I, I guess, is very active in various arts promotion groups and boards and organizations, but... That evidently led him to being the president of the Screen Actors Guild for about four or five years in the 90s, which is something oh, I wow. did not know. So, wow. yeah, very, very you. active individual. The overall plot of Mr. Bogarty is a family from the big city decides to move to a small town in Massachusetts called Lucifer Falls. Now, remember, folks, this is Disney back in the 80s. So we've got a location called Lucifer Falls. Not, not, not cute little devil falls. Lucifer. Yep. It could have been called Beelzebub, the dark one. But it's Lucifer Falls, and it revolves around a pilgrim, an old pilgrim, who wanted to marry a woman, selling his soul to the devil for a magic cloak that he used to try to cast a spell, but ended up blowing himself 
the woman that he wanted to marry and her sick child up. That blew them up, and now they're ghosts. And for the last 300 years, they've been haunting this area of land. Particularly the house. Particularly the house. Any structure that's built on that piece of land gets haunted by... Mr. Boogadi. And and honestly, it's it's a pretty good idea. It's a pretty good concept yeah, for yeah, a horror yeah. film. It's just, you know, this was done not just by Disney. I know Disney gets a, a lot of flack for, you know, kind of cutifying things. but So it didn't just have the Disney stigma to it, but it was also a TV movie, and it was a 45-minute long special right. episode of whatever the Disney Sunday week Wonderful of world color of, of adventure Disney Mickey stuff. Time. Um, so, you know, it it obviously suffered from from quite a few setbacks. Taking all of that into consideration though, it's actually a really good concept for mm-hmm. a horror film and and it actually is not that bad a film. In fact, as a kid, now of course it's very hokey to us now, but right. as a kid, there were moments of it that were quite creepy. And and there were things about it that I equated with absolutely terrifying when I was little, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like the first year or two that the special aired. For, for instance, at one point, Mr. Boogity, you know, he chants his famous line of boogity, boogity, boo, and he makes things in their house come to life. And, of course, the father, played by Richard Masser, runs a kind of magic gag store called Gag City. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, you know, joy buzzers and whoopee cushion kind of stuff all over the house. And one of the things that he has is an old stuffed mummy, like you do, laying around your living room. I've got seven of them. You know, why not? Well, when Mr. Boogie chants his his boogity boogity boo and makes everything start moving, he makes the mummy get up and start dancing and moving and jumping around. And, and, you know, as an eight-year-old, however I was when I first saw it, something like that, that was a mummy that was jumping up and jumping on Richard Masser's back. Yeah. It looks really cheesy as hell now. Well, but, of course. but boy, as eight-year-old, man, that was creepy. And I think the reasoning for that, for both this and the next entry on our lethal list here, is due to the origins of the film Mr. Boogity itself. Now, I did a little bit of research over the last couple of days on the film and on where it comes from. And there's not a lot out there. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot to find, or at least there wasn't a lot that I was able to find. If you all out there are able to find something that we don't touch upon or that we were unable to discover, please let us know and go on over to our Facebook page at Two Guys Talking Horror and share the info with us. But the few things that I was able to dig up on Mr. Boogity <laughs> was uh, evidently the original idea for the film was conceived as a feature film called Cheap Thrills. And it was a vehicle for Cheech and Chong in a haunted house. (laughs) And they would come across the Boogity Ghost. And, of course, they couldn't make that stick. They couldn't sell that to anyone. And and eventually... They couldn't sell that to Cheech and Chong? (laughs) I don't know if they couldn't sell it to Cheech and Chong. They couldn't sell it to any investors, I guess. I don't know. See, that's the thing. I can't find enough info to find out why that film fell apart. (laughs) And pieces of it ended up being twisted and turned into this Disney television special. But it ended up making its way to Disney, and they ended up putting a little bit of money behind it in the hopes that they could spin it off from the wonderful world of whatever it premiered on 
to its own television series. And I don't even know, yeah, I don't even know if the television series was called Mr. Boogity or if the name changed right before it aired that year on on Disney or or what the case was. But I know that it was supposed to be a pilot Hmm. for a spinoff television series that I guess, and again, I can't find any information out about what the show was going to follow, but I guess I would assume that it followed the family, the Davis family, and their exploits in Lucifer Falls. And I would assume then that Lucifer Falls probably has a deeper horror history to it than just Mr. Boogity himself. And maybe it was a la Erie, Indiana, or who knows? Who knows what the, wow. I, the idea was? And, of course, it didn't end up going that route. So instead, they put it just on this Disney World, and it just aired there. But the the reception from it was so great that it ended up spawning a sequel. <laughs> Number four, Bride of Boogadi. Of course, all great things must have a sequel, man. That's right. Mr. Boogadi came out in April of 86. Well, guess what? Bride of Boogadi came out in April of 1987. They pushed that thing out fast. Boom. As soon as they got those ratings numbers, I guess, they were just like, get that thing made. And you know what? Here's the thing. I, you can kind of tell oh, that yeah. it was a rush job because, A, half the cast did not return. The only one of the kids that came back was uh, David Faustino. He right. stuck around to reprise his role, but we got a brand new uh, uh, older daughter, Jennifer, and we lose Benji Gregory to Alf. And we get the little kid from Harry and the Hendersons. Who also, I had forgotten until I watched Bride of Boogity over the last day or two, that he was also the little kid from Flatliners. When uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character starts having his visions of the kid that he accidentally killed, I guess. Spoilers for anybody. Oh, yeah, spoilers for... Spoilers for anybody who haven't seen a movie that came out in the late... Right. 80s, early 90s, Flatliners. Yes, I'm not talking about the remake. I'm talking about the original with Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts. Yeah, the little the little kid. And the kid, excellent Kevin Bacon. And the excellent Kevin Bacon, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the, the little kid, uh, Joshua Rudoy. Yeah. I guess that's how you pronounce his name, Rudoy. Rudoy, I don't know. He was in Flatliners, and he ended up taking over the role of Ari yeah. in Bride of Boogity. And we also lose John Aston. Yeah. Uh, and we get this... <laughs> Leonard Frey, who I could not place, but I, I did some research on him yeah. as well. Leonard Frey, as it turns out, played one of the lead roles, the character of Mottle the Tailor, in the film version of Fiddler on the Roof, the Academy Award-nominated film version of wow. Fiddler on the Roof okay. back in the 70s, I guess it was. And Leonard Frey played Model and had the famous song, you know, Wonder of Wonders and I guess his his career didn't end up going very far, <laughs> and he he ended up doing Bride of Boogity and playing. I think it's the cousin of the John Aston character. Um, really, he's he's still a Witherspoon, but I think he's a different character altogether. Because huh. I always assumed he was still the same Mister Witherspoon because he was still giving out exposition. Oh, he could be. Maybe I just missed. Maybe I read something. And the wrong. thing is, the the biggest the biggest problem I've always had with that is that. John Aston's Mr. Witherspoon had this big mustache. Yeah. And our new Mr. Witherspoon has no mustache. Right. Had we at least just thrown a mustache on this guy, 
Sure, it's not the same actor, but at least he had a mustache. We This was a completely different type of a character, though. He wasn't creepy. He was just weird. Right. Well, they actually, you know, they did put the mustache that you want in the film. They just didn't <laughs> give it to him. That's right. They gave it to Eugene Levy, who plays... Mr. Lynch. Uh, Mr. Lynch, our, our second or first bad guy. Technically, he's the bad guy of, of the piece, but... It's still all about Mr. Boogity and him wanting to come back to the real world, coming back to life and getting his his cloak. And I tell you what, you can tell the production value rose. Oh, yeah. They it's spent certainly... more money. It's twice as long as the first one. Yeah. This is a feature-length film. Yeah. But it is like it is very lacking where plot and script is concerned. Well, I think what they did was they rushed the script through, knew that they had a hit with the first one, and they rushed the script through to quickly get a second film made for the following season of Disney. And everything else got upgraded, and they brought back who they could bring back or who wanted to come back. I don't know if somebody didn't want to or they just couldn't, whatever. But one thing they did not focus on was they did not focus on the script. And I'm not saying that the first Mr. Boogity was a great script, but for a 45-minute television anthology series... You got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, it did what it needed to do. Yeah, you, you filled in the mythology, you knew who Boogity was, and you knew what they had to do to get rid of him. Yeah. Boom. This one... While probably more visual in my memory Mm -hmm. than the first one, meanders all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it it doesn't quite know what it wants to do. And it actually, if anything, feels like a pilot, like a failed pilot. It's the second one. Mm. Because it does feel like it starts to establish some of the other town members and... Starts to they really kind introduce of build a lot of, town a lot of yeah. characters. They start to actually show you the town of Lucifer Falls, which of course looks just like any backlot city or small town. Wouldn't it be interesting to discover if, if if the Bride of Boogity was actually like two or three of the failed TV series scripts, kind of just shoved together? Which could very well be. It, it does kind of feel like that, that way. Yeah. yeah, and you know the other thing that that is unfortunate about it is the title. While I love the title, The Bride of Boogity, it really isn't about The Bride of Boogity. Like, if you yeah. watch The Bride of Frankenstein, it is about The Bride of Frankenstein. Even though, even though The Bride, bride doesn't, doesn't even show, show yeah. up until the very end of the it film. It still is about that. Yeah. And while it's still the same story, Mr. Boogity is still wanting control, and he still wants the Widow Marion. Marion! It doesn't really delve into the whole bride angle until the last, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. N- not even that, really. No. And the, I think the one of the reasons why it's called Bride of Boogity is once he does take possession of Eloise. Played by Mimi Kennedy. When he puts his magic spell on her, her hair goes up. Yeah. And there's the streak of gray, so she looks like right. the Bride of Frankenstein. Which is fine. But Dressed I think, as a pilgrim. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think that there there was a missed opportunity there. Because, again, the Boogity concept is such a good concept in, in its essence. And so I think there was a missed opportunity there. If the film had started with the first 20 minutes of bringing Boogity back, and then he possesses and captures... Eloise. Well, the, then the rest of the film could be about getting her back. The rest of the film should have been, he's not getting Eloise because it was or, or, no, no, it, he got Eloise, but he doesn't have Marion. 
But he doesn't what have Marion. What it should have been about is putting mm-hmm. Marion's spirit into the body of somebody that he he, he kidnapped. And we don't do that. No, there was. There's He's a, just deluded. Like, oh well, you're dressed like a pilgrim, so yeah, you're you're mine now, lady. There's a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah. Having said that, there are some visuals that have stuck with me. The statue of Mister Boogity in the graveyard That's is some something shit. Yeah. that I will never forget. Even the opening scene of the the sequel with the Davis family. Deck pulling a to, prank on, pulling their, a prank the, on uncle, the uncle. Yeah. They've decked the house out with spiders. spiders. And, yeah. and the, the the mother and the sons come down and they're dressed like ghouls or mummies or something. It, it's a visual that I've never forgotten. So there's good stuff in it, and it's certainly worth watching, especially if you like the first one. But it just it's a missed opportunity, and boy, would it wouldn't it be something to try and do a remake of Mr. Boogity? I would totally go for a remake of Mr. Boogity. Speaking of of things that stick out in your mind, one of the things that I remember about the film was the Davises were trying to find a location for their store, and they come across this old wax museum. Oh, yes. So the wax museum is, it's also a horror wax museum. So it's all these, you've got a, a Dracula, you've got a Wolfman, you've got Jack the Ripper. There's a Dr. Jekyll There's character, There's a Dr. Jekyll it? character, but he's in the... He's, like, in between transformations. Right. And at one point in time, Mr. Lynch, who now has Boogity's cloak and is possessed by the spirit of Boogity, brings all of the wax statues to life. As a child, that stuck with me. That stuck with me, too. Especially the Jack the Ripper one, for some reason, really stuck in my head. Maybe it was because he was wearing giant Mickey Mickey Mouse Mouse gloves. gloves. Yeah, that could be it. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why it stuck stuck with me is, for those of you who don't know, and you probably don't know because I I, I don't think I've really talked about it on this podcast, but when I was younger, I was a hell of an artist. And in my really, really early, I guess you'd even call it preteens, like 11 or 12 years old, I had a an accident on a patch of ice that caused me to rip the tendon and nerve of one of my fingers on my on my drawing hand. Just I almost lost a finger, just completely just torn almost right off. And I spent almost a year wearing a prosthetic to to hold it together so that it could heal and then a lot of physical therapy. Needless to say, after after that I didn't really have the the patience or sleight of hand to draw anymore. So my creativity will not be stopped. I started dabbling in writing. And one of the first things I wrote, uh, coherent things I wrote, was uh, I was in sixth grade, and I wrote a a short story called The Phantom of Six Flags. Now, most of you know the Six Flags. It's a a popular uh, chain of amusement parks around the country. Vaguely recall you telling me about this years ago. Yes. My first story, it was basically... Well, the sixth grade class, if you were passing, if you were going to go on into junior high, at the end of the year, you got to go to a field trip to Six Flags. Yay! My idea was, and this is months before the trip, I write this story. So it's got all of my classmates in it. And basically, the story was there was this mysterious hooded figure who could be seen at all of the different rides while my character, because I wrote myself into it, of course. As the hero, of course. As you do, yeah. Right. Of course I'm the hero. Why wouldn't you? The Phantom is kidnapping all of my classmates off of these rides throughout the story until finally at the end, in the bowels of the amusement park, 
the hero character, me, discovers the, the Phantom, who is very, very much a human character, but you never get to see him. He's still wearing the giant big, the big cloak with the hood. We don't find out why he wants to kidnap these people because he gets blown up. I, 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 cannot rem- I cannot recall if I was the one who caused the explosion to blow him up. I probably was. Or I'm sorry, my character probably was. But everybody gets out alive. Everybody escapes. But the Phantom, Phantom dies. But nobody can ever be found. Now, I told you that story so I could tell you this story. <laughs> like any good story, it's all about the sequel, baby. That's right. Just before our trip to uh, to Six Flags for the sixth grade uh, class, oh, and my my teacher absolutely loved the Phantom of Six Flags and made me go to all the sixth grade classrooms to read it to everybody, to all the classes. So I did that, I, and then I made the sequel, Return of the Phantom: Colon Fright Fest. Oh, yes, because Six Flags during the month of October, has its Fright Fest. They turn oh. it into a giant horror amusement park. Phantom attacks the uh, the Fright Fest. The huh? Phantom is now a ghost. He's, oh. he's a spirit. He's an evil spirit. And because he has this magic, what he does, and you could call it an homage, me as a child was probably just, I'm totally just ripping it off. What he does at one point in time in the story is he makes all of the mannequins that are dressed as monsters come to life and attack people in the park. And I got that from Bride of Boogity when Mr. Lynch, being controlled by Boogity, makes all of the wax statues come to life and attack the carnival folk. What I want to know is why aren't we making that movie the Phantom of Six Flags. Why aren't we making that? I don't movie know. Right I don't know now. what. You know, there was a third one too. The final in the in the trilogy. I had because because once you do a sequel, you have to do a trilogy. Sure, you got to run. The third it out. one was called uh, the Phantom's Revenge. All right, and it didn't it didn't take place at all at Six Flags. And this one this this time the Phantom had turned into Freddy Krueger. He, he he attacked you. He he could attack you in your dreams, but he also like slipped in and out of the shadows. And because I like a twist ending, just before the Phantom kills my character, my character wakes up at his desk in sixth grade, just before they're about to leave for the field trip to go to Six Flags. Folks, anyone out there that is wondering, don't be surprised if there ends up being a film in some manner of these <laughs> at some point in time from us. I don't know when. We got a lot on the plate. A but... lot of my early writings were homages to the films that I loved watching. I'm, and, I'm and sure is... that there's something there that we can twist. But yes, Bride of Boogie. Yes, the But the, yes, it just the goes mannequins. to show you that yes. Bride of Boogie Absolutely. was very important in my upbringing, even though it, <laughs> it aired originally in April. Number three, The Worst Witch. Now, earlier when I said that there was one special on this list that I had never heard of, mm-hmm. this was the one. This was me. the one. Oh, this okay. was the one. I had never heard of it. I know I didn't know anything about it, which is ironic because after I've done some research on it, you would think, having spent so much time working in bookstores over the years, that I would have known about this one or right. any of the others. But I, I don't. I don't. I, I had never heard of it. I had never seen it. I knew nothing about it. And I watched it this morning before I met up with you. Mm-hmm. So this one is still very fresh in my mind. And 
unlike all of the other specials that we're talking about, this is not one that I grew up with. This mm-hmm. is not one that I know anything about. So I'm coming at this as kind of a fresh view and trying to be objective to it, both in how it was presented at the time and yeah. in how it is viewed now. Because I think the way it is viewed now is very important, not just to horror, but into pop culture in general. Uh-huh. So The Worst Witch is, stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> the Worst Witch follows the story of a normal human who comes from a human family who travels, a young girl who travels to a secret magic castle hidden from humans where there is an academy there that she can join. Let me guess, this she, academy, she joined Hufflepuff, didn't well, she? Well, at this academy, she is taught how to be a witch and magic. And while she is at this academy, she is joined by a friend, a young girl who comes from a long family of great witches, and of course ends up with a rival young blonde kid, in this case a young girl, because it's an all-girls school. It's an all-girls, it's a witches. Witches, it's a witches. are, witches are right. women. So it's uh, a young blonde girl who uh, is entitled and comes from a very wealthy family and is kind of her rival. And they certainly don't get along. And and it is headmastered by a white-haired, bespectacled, very gentle dean or head of the administration. Kindly headmistress? Yeah, headmistress, who, of course, takes the young witch's side on many things and loves her. And, of course, she has to deal with the teacher from – one of the teachers from the school who teaches Potions of all things. Is this, a, is this starting to ring a bell to anybody out there? This teacher is tall and thin and wears black and is the most feared teacher at school and hates the young wannabe witch whose name is Mildred, I believe. Yes, Mildred Hubble, Mildred not Hubble. Harry Potter. Yes. So obviously what, <laughs> what, what we're seeing here is the precursor to J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. And, and this it, is a female-centric – Yes, book series that then became... That has been coming out since the 70s. Evidently. Yeah. And I knew nothing about it. It's still being printed. I just realized that there was a, an edition uh, printed a new, in 2013 a, 2013. Or yeah. a, newer, a new book came out in 2013. And there have been... Uh, this was a BBC, I believe. BBC special. And there have been, I, I think now, two television series An adapted old series for in BBC. the 90s. And there's yeah. one right now on, on Netflix. Which I watched part of. Oh, yeah? I, I, I found it. Uh, and I watched maybe the first... 10, 15 minutes to see how different it was from the original movie. And it certainly is taking itself more seriously, and it certainly takes a lot of leads from Harry Potter uh, now, including the well, theme, which very much sounds like Harry Potter. But but technically it came before it Harry came Potter. It came before Harry Potter, so... yes. So there is certainly question as to hmm. where J.K. Rowling got her ideas. But I think Inspiration I don't comes think, from all places. Yes, I think it's inspiration. I, I'd rather not think ill of J.K. Rowling. And to be honest, what it really feels like more than anything else is it feels like there was this series of kids' books, and it is very much geared towards kids. Mm-hmm. It was a series of kids' books that J.K. Rowling probably thought, this is a pretty good story. If I change things and tweak things, how can we tell this story with a more adult approach. Because even though Harry Potter starts when they're young, it certainly has a more adult approach, especially by the time you get to the end. Well, true. Plus, since it's a uh, school for 
magic, right. you can have both male and female right. characters. You can open it, it up. appeals to a right. wider audience. So it, it seems more like, to me, like Harry Potter would be a big-budget, multi-million-dollar retelling of an old children's story, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, yeah. Having said all of that, after watching the special, I, I enjoyed the special. But again, I like Harry Potter, and it reeks of Harry Potter. So it, it felt like, what would Harry Potter be like if it was made in the 80s? <laughs> this right. would be it. And of course, one of our favorite people of all time, one of our favorite performers ever, oh, oh, has a, a great cameo at the end. Not even the end. Not, I guess not even the end. No, there's no, a couple no. of scenes, isn't there? Tim Curry. Yep. And this is 80s Tim Curry. So we're talking after Rocky Horror Picture Show and around the time of Clue right. and Legend. This is in his prime Tim Curry, and he plays the Grand High Wizard, who who has a really snazzy psychedelic psychedelic eighties Halloween song, and it almost it almost looks like the kind of and I I use the air quotations, but it almost looks like the music videos that seventies rock bands would do in the early seventies when they would show up on television on a variety show and they would have these psychedelic lights. And weird superimposed colors, and and it, it looks like something like that. Right. Um, oh, but trust it's a blast. Me. Trust me, we'll definitely have a link to the the musical number from the Worst Witch, starring Tim Curry, and all of his musical glory. We'll definitely have that on the show notes on the website. So make sure you go over to Two Guys Talking and check that out. Another great thing about this this special is is that it has even more stars. Yeah. Mildred, in fact, our our main character. Right. I can never pronounce her name correctly. Faruja. Faruja. I think, I think it's Faruja. Yeah. Faruja Bulk. Wow. Yeah. Now this is now I do remember this 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 originally aired on HBO and then was picked up by Disney, of course, because they needed some content. And they would actually show this during the month of October for their Halloween stuff. Even though this actually aired on November 1st of 1986. But I remember after this seeing her in the film Return to Oz. Yep. Which hell, talk about a talk movie about that a messed up movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I remember seeing her and then of course she grew up and then and appeared of course in the great we're, we're, well, well, I'm talking about the craft. That's what I'm talking about too. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought you were going to bring up the Island of Doctor Moreau. No, I don't know that I just I, I I enjoy the Island of Doctor Moreau. I don't know that I'd necessarily use the word great when talking about it's, the Island it's of great Dr. In Moreau. So, it's great in in some way. <laughs> I guess maybe not not the way great really not um, the not the real great. No, I was talking about the the great '90s witch movie. Was, was, oh, was yes. going to say the, yes. the craft because I mean, she grew is... up. She grew. She was a witch when she yeah. was a kid, and she grew up to be a witch. Yeah. And then for sitcom watchers of the seventies and early eighties, you've got Charlotte Ray, right? Who everybody should know as Mrs. Garrett. Yep. She she appeared on different strokes as the housekeeper, but then she was also Mrs. Garrett on 
the facts of life for years. And not only is she in the film, and she's playing Miss Cackle, I believe. She, correct? Yes, the, she the, is the headmistress head of the, yes. of the Cackle school. school of whatever. Yeah, her 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 mother or grandmother started the school. Her grandmother's name, by the way, was Hermione. I noticed. Ah. But yeah, but she also plays the dual character, and I can't remember the other character's she, name. But the uh, Aggie. Aggie. That's right. Like the, Agatha. Agatha Cackle. The the pseudo very goofy watered down female Voldemort. <laughs> which is which is kind of funny because when when Charlotte Ray is playing Miss Cackle, she has a British accent. Right. But when she's playing her evil sister, her yeah. evil twin sister, she has an American Midwestern twang. I would almost even oh, say slightly southern. A really bad southern. A really bad. She's, southern. she's trying to do a really bad southern <laughs> accent. So so you've got you've got that. But then, and this is the this is the one that kind of gets me the most. You've got Diana Rigg, wow, who, if you know anything about British television and movies, she still currently is still having a great career right now. But for me, I remember seeing her for the very first time in a little movie called The Great Muppet Caper. Yep, as Lady Holiday. I think that's probably my. First exposure to her as well. Yeah, I think. yeah, I, it's got to be. I, I I can't imagine that I saw any of the anything else before Great Muppet Caper. Now, don't you also think that it's kind of interesting that uh, in a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon type of a thing, you've got Diana Rigg who was in Great Muppet Caper, and then years later, you've got Tim Curry who was in Muppets Treasure Island. Mm. So here's your bridge. Yeah, here's your bridge you movie. All yeah. of you, uh, the six degrees, seven degrees, and lots of degrees of Kevin Bacon players. The Worst Witch, 1986. That's your bridge. You know, you know. I I know that Tim Curry is has been recovering from uh, a very unfortunate and very very nasty stroke from yeah. a few years ago. But but I've seen him do uh, press releases recently, and and for someone recovering, he's in. Pretty good spirits and, yeah. and pretty articulate. So before before Tim is gone, before we lose Tim, maybe we should get Tim Curry and Diana Rigg together in a new Muppet film, a Muppet Halloween special. Let's start pushing Ooh, that there we go. on the internet. Let's start pushing that out there. Diana Rigg and Tim Curry reunite with the Muppets for an October Halloween-themed Muppet special. How about I that I am one? down for that. That is definitely something we need to start Hell, pushing. get Faruja Balk back. Social media unite. Let's get the cast, the surviving cast, <laughs> of The Worst Witch 1986 with the Muppets for a Halloween horror special. I think that's a good place for us to take a break. We are five into our top seven, of course, keeping number two and number one from you just a little while longer but if you are patient and you're good little boys and ghouls we'll be right back after these messages wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever it can with perpetual advertising here's how it works Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact. 
thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. It doesn't always come fast, but it's always free. Join Officer Tommy Model and learn more about vital building blocks when it comes to security and law enforcement during the Free Field Training Podcast. FreeFieldTrainingPodcast.com. That's FreeFieldTrainingPodcast.com. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug www.podcastbug.com You're probably already editing your own podcast. You may be editing other people's podcasts. Ever thought of making even more money editing podcasts? Editorcore.com is looking for a few good editors to edit podcasts inside of the Editorcore.com effort. Take the experience, skills, and knowledge you've collected over the years as you edit podcasts and embiggen your wallet and or purse. It's time to start monetizing the process of editing podcasts. Make your way to EditorCore.com. Help us make podcasts soar at the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Welcome back to Two Guys Talking Horrors Lethal Listings. The seven Halloween TV specials that you might have forgotten. Well, we're down to we're down to just two more. We're, we're down we're, to the last two. Our yeah. list is almost over. Before we get into anything else, though, I, yes. I, I would like to um, I would like to encourage people to go out and and not just these. I mean, when we were doing our research to put this list together, there was a lot of Halloween specials out there that, oh, yeah. we, that we aren't touching. We're touching on some of the much more obscure, a little ones. bit more obscure ones. Yeah, but you know, I do I do recommend people going out and finding. You know, of course, there's all the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors, and we mentioned Garfield and Charlie Brown, Great Pumpkin, and and isn't that the great the thing about and, about television, especially television in the 80s and going into the 90s? Yeah. It seemed like the sitcoms of the era. Oh yes, would have Halloween. Those are the best. Roseanne's Roseanne's Halloween episodes were always the best for me. But uh, that's the the one thing that I kind of miss because if you didn't get to see it, it's gone. Or at least at that point in time it was. Now you've got YouTube and and all the other places, plus DVDs and I was just going to say, DVDs. They've just put some DVDs out because even the cartoons – at that time, if they didn't do a special that aired mm. in primetime, yeah. they did an episode. Case in point is the most uh, recent release of The Real Ghostbusters on DVD, mm. which had a great Halloween episode and has now entered my 
Halloween special rotation. Oh, nice. Okay. With uh, the episode with Sam Hain. You know, big also giant pumpkin head big, guy. Big yeah, giant yeah. pumpkin head guy. Yeah. But then also things like Winnie the Pooh and Raggedy Ann and Andy and all, all of these uh, things. And and Raggedy even, Ann and Andy's the pumpkin who couldn't <laughs> smile. And then what was what was Winnie Pooh? Win- uh, Winnie the Boo to you. Boo to Winnie you, the Winnie the Pooh. The Pooh yeah. <laughs> um, but it even goes back. You know, I mean. I, I didn't sit through the whole thing, but I know you sat through the Paul Lind Halloween special. So oh, yeah, yes. Paul Lind. Paul Lind. Paul Lind had a Halloween special back in the 70s. And, With Betty and, Davis and Kiss. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, you know, I, I don't don't just stick to the seven that we're pointing out or oh, these, no. these final two that we're about to get into because there are some great Halloween specials out there that you can find either on Netflix or... Or on on YouTube, and please, you know, uh, go over to our Facebook page and share whatever Halloween specials you watch every year. <laughs> Number two, Witches Night Out. This was one of those that, until I started watching it again for this episode. I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was. The name didn't tell me anything. Yeah, you and I are in the same boat. When you first brought it up, I thought, what in the world is this? And I think maybe I got three minutes into it and went, oh. Didn't even take me three minutes. As soon as I heard the theme music, oh, sure. yeah. it all came flooding back. And the interesting thing about Witch's Night Out is it was released in October – in 1978. So it is an actual true It is a true Halloween legitimate special. Halloween TV special. Uh, made in Canada, broadcast in Canada, but also here in the States. And then years later, guess who bought the rights to it to air on their network? <laughs> the House of Mouse. And it's interesting that, that it seems throughout this entire podcast, really, Disney keeps popping up. This is Disney before Disney owned half the world. Yeah. This is Disney as it started to buy bits and pieces of the world. And one of the things it was doing, it was buying TV Halloween specials. And it's amazing, too, when you think about it, how, you know, of course, you've got all the the classic horror films, uh, Universal films, Hammer, the slasher films of the 70s and 80s. And there's, you know, Stephen King and Edgar Allan Poe. And there's a lot of influences for, for you and I and our generation but it's amazing how influential Disney was to our horror upbringing. Yeah. We are looking at uh, our list of seven films here. We are looking at, what, five, four that have been either produced by Disney or picked up and aired on Disney? Yeah, at least. I mean, you know, the majority of this list is because of, of Disney. And Witch's Night Out is no exception. I, that's the only place I can think that I, I saw it. Yeah. I can't imagine I have I to have seen, seen it anywhere this else. on the Disney Channel at some point in time, very early on, very late, mid probably mid-80s once the Disney Channel was a little bit more readily available to people. Right. Well, hell, I didn't even have the Disney Channel. My grandmother had the Disney Channel. Mm. So anytime we went to visit Grandma, it was all about watching what was on the Disney Channel, sure. looking at the TV guide and seeing what was coming to the Disney Channel and, and reminding Grandma, okay, Grandma, you have to put this VHS tape in <laughs> and record this on such and such date so that I don't miss it. I, I want to say that Witch's Night Out was probably something that was placed on a VHS tape with a lot of horror or Halloween-esque specials. Sure. 
Because as soon as I started rewatching this through YouTube, thank you, YouTube, that opening music, and we'll, we'll put links to it in the show notes on the website, the opening music, uh, just the synthesizers, it's a catchy tune because it's an earworm and it gets stuck in your head, but it's a, stu- it's a stupid song. Yeah. It's a stupid song. But because it's so 70s, Oh man! It gets trapped in your head, and I I, I remember sitting there and, and watching this and going like, I feel so old. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Out of everything on the list, this is the one that made me feel old because it is so much a product of the era that it was made. Yes. Whereas so many of these other things that we've mentioned on this list, uh, you watch them now, and sure they're dated, but there are aspects of them that can transcend or that are somewhat timeless. Mm -hmm. And so there are not any one film on this list that is so seeped in the era in which it was made. Mad Monster Party maybe being the closest. Yes. But only because of that that Rankin-Bass animation. But even that has a certain timeless factor to it because it's the classic monsters. This, the animation... And not just the animation, the art style itself. Yes. The drawings themselves. Uh, the animation is is that 70s stilted animation, but the it art felt style like the underground was, yes, those underground of comics. the late 70s, yeah. And and the music and the pacing and the and just the the sound of the recording of the mm. vocals, of the voices and the voice talents in this thing just there's a different sound that the 70s have, and I don't know what kind of equipment they were using to record Mm. audio at that time for film and animation and television, but it is a different sound than any other decade, and it is very obvious in this special. Right. (laughs) And so, yeah, so uh, absolutely, I'm with you. It it made me feel so old more than any other special on this list. And the great thing about it is that the plot, it's a great plot. Yeah, it is. I mean, Witch's Night Out, it, it follows, and, and just listen to the names of these characters that we have. It follows tender and small, boy and girl, little kids. It's Halloween. They're running around with their Halloween masks on trying to scare the townsfolk. And the townsfolk that they run into are goodly, nicely, rotten, and malicious. So you've got your... Male and female good characters, and your male and female not so good characters, and they the the adults dismiss the children because oh oh dress up being being silly oh Halloween what a what a childish holiday, and the adults decide well let's take this holiday back let's throw a party let's throw an adult party where we'll have beverages and dancing and things like that, so the adults dismissing the kids the kids are so heartbroken like oh. They knew it was us. We didn't scare anybody. They don't want to have anything to do with Halloween. They have lost their Halloween spirit. The man has taken their (laughs) Halloween spirit. And the adults go to the edge of town, and there's this old creepy house on the edge of town, and this is where they're going to throw their Halloween party. Little did they know, there's a witch who lives in that house. Now, this witch is also suffering from some Halloween blues because nobody is celebrating the true spirit of Halloween until later that night when tender and small being babysat by, (laughs) uh, and again, product of the times, folks, their babysitter's name is Bazooey. Bazooey. 
a bell-bottom wearing shaggy, shaggy hippie guy. Hippie guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he looks like a cross between your typical hippie and Jim Henson. Yes. Well, that night, they don't want to hear a scary story. They just want to hear, you know, a regular old fairy tale. And just before they fall asleep, they wish that they could really be monsters. Tender wishes that she could really be a ghost. And Small really wishes that he could be a wolf man. Not a werewolf, a wolf man. He actually says Yeah, he wolf does man. actually say wolf man. And, and luckily the... The Halloween breeze takes their 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 wishes to the witch's ears, and the witch shows up and transforms them into a real ghost and a real wolf man. And Bazooey freaking out because you know he is the babysitter; he's the, he's the guy in charge. He's going to be the one that gets blamed for all this. Uh, is kind of freaking out until the witch offers, "Hey, hey, tall, dark, and handsome. What what would you like to be?" And Bazooey kind of loosens up, man, and. He wants to be a Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> so, that, yeah, and it's all about being turned into monsters and going out and having fun on Halloween. Yeah. And it's also, uh, you know, later on in the story, don't want to give it all away so that, you know, people actually go out and watch it. But it's about teaching adults that it's okay to be a little bit childish on Halloween and teaching children that they need to be mindful to be... Not necessarily adults, but respect the holiday and not take everything so childishly. Right. If the animation was better, I don't know if this would if this would be a hit or not. I think the fact that this is so dated, the look and sound of it is so dated that the message is hammered home because we really don't have stuff like that anymore. The closest thing I could say, and this wasn't a TV special. But the closest thing I could say that has the true meaning and spirit of Halloween is A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. That is probably much the so. closest thing we've gotten yeah. to anything that Hollywood has made in the last 20 years that has that feel. Sadly, we, we need more things. And I'm not just talking about slasher movies that take place on Halloween. No, I no, love no, 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 no. I love John Carpenter's Halloween and stuff like that. Michael Myers is great. But I'm talking about it has to capture Halloween. what Halloween is about. It has to capture the essence of trick or treating and the essence of as a matter of fact dressing up. You say trick or treating, even though it's it's it is a horror movie, and I wouldn't let kids I know watch where this, you're going with this. But the anthology film Trick or Treat, it's a great film. It is a great film because every single story really does deal with the darker side the darker meaning of Halloween. But it, it it approaches the tried and true tropes of the holiday itself and and the essence of what makes Halloween Halloween. And I think that that's, that's partly where a lot of Halloween specials fall flat, you mm. know. When you're when you're thinking about the big ones, which we've mentioned before, like Garfield and Great Pumpkin and right. what have you. You know, those are films that were made for Halloween, and they are about Halloween, a hundred percent about Halloween and about the holiday itself. And while Mad Monster Party and and the Boogity movies and Worst Witch and and, and some of these that we've talked about, they sure they're horror themed and they're more geared towards families or kids, so they can be aired on television in prime time in October. And they can be used as a Halloween special, but right. they're really not. The essence of what Halloween is 
it's completely lost on these projects because that's not what their that's not what their approach is, and that's fine. But then that starts to beg the question of what really is a Halloween special, right? And in that case, Witch's Night Out. It's slam dunk oh, right, yeah. right in there. It it's is right up there a with Halloween special. The Great Pumpkin, Charlie absolutely. Brown. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Yeah. And I and I think it's unfortunate because while we might enjoy it for its creakiness, I, I think that modern kids and modern audiences would immediately be turned off by the animation and yeah. the art. And, and it's a shame because there aren't many specials out there that latch onto that the way that latch onto that meaning and that feeling the way that Witch's Night Out does. Mm. But then, you know, at the same time, the special also offers a lot for adults as well. Oh, yeah. There was a joke in there that I could not believe. I, I know they wouldn't be able to get away with it now. There was the character of Nicely, who was, uh, I don't know, maybe 30, 40-year-old woman, I'm assuming, and an adult, a female adult, who was helping Mr. Goodley to put this party together. And and they get the party together at the at the old rickety haunted house, and there's drinks, and something happens. Something flies through the window and hits her in the head, and she falls down. It knocks her unconscious. Right. And someone asks, hey, where's Nicely? And you hear someone in the background go, she passed out, to which the reply is, already? <laughs> and I, I guarantee you, as a kid, I didn't catch that. So there's there's stuff in there for adults, and there's the true meaning of Halloween, not to get too corny. It, it's a Halloween special in every way, shape, or form, and, and it hits every note. It's just, it's a shame that it's so dated yeah. um, that it probably wouldn't be approached by modern audiences. Well, any of you modern audiences who enjoy things that may not necessarily be modern, you definitely need to check it out. Number one, the Halloween that almost wasn't from 1979. Actually aired on October 28th, so this is a legitimate Halloween special. Yep. We're not saying that this is the greatest of the <laughs> forgotten Halloween specials, but it is... This is the most forgotten. It is certainly the most forgotten. Nobody I've talked to knows what I'm talking about when I talk about our number one pick. This was another case where you had brought it up, and I did not know what you were talking about. As I watched it, and it took a little while, it took getting into the thing a little bit to realize it, but as I watched it, I realized, yeah, I've seen this before. There were things that were memorable. It was a little difficult finding information about this, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that you probably had a difficult time digging stuff up on it as yes. well, partly because... For some reason, it's known by two different names. Weird. It's known by the name The Halloween That Almost Wasn't. Right, and that's that's what I know. I've always known it as that. And the star of the film is Judd Hirsch from Taxi fame and... Most of our modern audiences would know him as Jeff Goldblum's dad from Independence in the Day. Independence Day movies. So, yeah, so Judd Hirsch, who plays, the dra who plays Dracula in the film... When you first told me about this, and I quickly looked online, and you said it was Judd Hirsch, mm -hmm. I could not initially find anything on the Halloween that almost wasn't. What I did find, though, was images of Judd Hirsch dressed as Dracula in a film called How Dracula, or The Night Dracula Saved the World, or something to that effect. Weird. And I got confused, and I think I even texted you, and I was like, which 
Which one am I looking for? Yeah. What am I going to watch? Sadly, both of them have Judd Hirsch in it. Yes, and they are the same film. They just have different titles for some strange reason. Yeah. I watched this the other night, and as it progressed, images started becoming very familiar. And I realized that, yeah, I may have watched this when I was very little, when mm. I was very young, because it is certainly made for kids. Yes, it is definitely family. It is family. Totally family friendly. Yeah. Yes. The images of uh, the werewolf in particular are very reminiscent to me, but also the images of the Frankenstein's monster are mm-hmm. reminiscent to me. And I, I forget now the actor's name, but it was the same actor who I believe played Herman Munster in the revival, the revival of the Munsters, of the Munsters yes. years later, about yes. 10 years after this special, actually. So obviously I, I had a recollection from that because I watched that show as a kid. So it started to become very reminiscent to me. And what what the plot is, for those of you that are curious, Dracula is gathering all of the monsters to his castle because there is a report, and I guess it's an erroneous report, that Dracula intends... He thinks it is. He intends to end Halloween forever. And so he gets the group of old monsters and again it's the it's the classic universal monsters there's the frankenstein monster and the wolf man you got a you've got a wolf man what there's a mummy you've um, got a mummy there's a a zombie king a zombie king that's right and then a <laughs> yeah. witch and then the the witch and of course even though not considered one of the monsters you have igor right played by henry gibson which, henry gibson you as know, igor you know uh, was on laughing and more modern audiences, well, maybe not modern, but <laughs> younger audiences might know him more from the Tom Hanks film The Burbs. You mean older audiences. I guess older audiences is what I mean. Yeah, yeah not younger. Yeah. yeah, He was Herr Klopek. Herr Klopek. He was Dr. Klopek. That's right. And he plays he plays Igor. He plays Igor, yes. And it's yes, it's, it's reports of Halloween being canceled have uh, gotten the monster world up in an uproar, and it turns out... That it's not really a rumor. It's the witch. It's the witch. It's just not Dracula. It's not Dracula who's who's saying these bad things. It's the witch. The witch is tired of being a, a witch. Right. She she doesn't like being unloved and ugly and, and picked on. So she makes all these wacky demands of, of Dracula. And he has to meet these demands because Halloween will not happen until she flies across the moon. Right. It's kind of like, you know. Christmas will not happen until Santa Claus leaves the North Pole and starts delivering toys. So unless the witch gets out there and flies across the moon, there is no Halloween, and there will be no more Halloween. She makes all of these demands, and Dracula and the other monsters have to decide whether or not they're going to abide by these demands. All the while, this is being intercut with two little kids and their parents as they get ready to go trick-or-treating. Yes, they're they're getting their costumes together. You can't really tell what their costumes are yet, but the parents are answering some of the children's questions about Halloween itself, the and spirit what Halloween of Halloween. Is. Yes, they talk about how in the olden days, instead of jack o' lanterns, they light bonfires to keep the spirits away, and how putting on costumes to make yourself look like one of the spirits kept you from being drug off to the to the never, nether world where the when the spirits would go back 
even as cheesy as it is, and it is very cheesy, it is extremely 70s. It is very 70s, and it is very cheesy. But again, very much like Witch's Night Out, it has the spirit of Halloween. Yes, it does. And again, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. We don't get that enough nowadays. No. I want people to go and discover this. I want you to go and watch it on on YouTube. It is available on YouTube. Hell, I'll go as far as putting a link. Yeah, share the link to it Give on it to the website in the show notes for this episode, so you can enjoy it. As I, so I'm not gonna. We're not gonna share the ending. Please, please, all all of the things on our list. We definitely have links to them all. So go and check them out. Even if it is just a, for, for shits and giggles. If you want a good laugh, fine. If you actually want to see some some history where film and storytelling and animation is concerned. Even if you just want to have an October party or a Halloween party, and in one room you want to have a series of Halloween specials airing so that people can pop in and out and yeah. see things. These are great things to just have on while you're having a party. And, you know, you, you've refreshed your drink and you go and you sit down with some friends and you watch 15, 20 minutes of the Halloween that almost wasn't or, or whatever. I'll be back. I got to refill my glass. Let me know if... You know, I'll be right back. You never say that in a horror movie or a horror podcast. So that's it, folks. That's our list. That's all seven of them. Did you know any of these? I'm sure there's got to be somebody out there that remembers some, if not all, of these television Halloween gems. Are there some that you feel should have been on this list? Let us know by heading over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Fill out the contact form and, and let us know. So until next time, I'm your host, Nicholas J. Hearn. And I'm your co-host, Jason Cantini. And remember, folks, don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only a podcast.
can't believe I've never told you that story before. You told me about the first one, but you never told me about the other. Well, because they're pretty goofy. I mean, I'm serious. I, I, I really wish that I actually had I, I, I had it because I remember the end of the the second one, the Phantom one, the, the Fright Fest one. I had actually been bit by one of the werewolf things. So the climax of that one is, is it's me and the Phantom, who is now looked more like the jack-o'-lantern character from the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a fight between the Phantom and me as a werewolf. And again, guess what we do? We blow up six flags. And just like at the end of Ernest goes to jail, all of, the, all of my friends get out and they think I'm dead. And then you hear, <laughs> still in werewolf, werewolf form, I, I drop so to the parking lot. The... But since the magic is gone, once I transform back into human form, I'm okay. I'm I'm serious. Like you change you change the name Phantom and we tweak it and we I mean there, there's there's something there. I, I really do think that we might have something there. All right. 